Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. If you would like to support The Box of Oddities, we would be eternally grateful. Become a premium subscriber. Go to theboxofoddities.com and get signed up. You will get ad-free episodes. You'll get them a day early. You'll get a bonus episode every month, and you'll get access to The Box of Oddities back channel, direct contact to us. And we appreciate it so much. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries, of curiosities, of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. So today was a busy day. We were interviewed by the Wild Business Growth Podcast, and we discussed a lot of topics ranging from branding and marketing strategy to how Kat sings the theme from I Dream of Jeannie when she passes traffic. Why do we always have to point out the things that I do that are weird? Well, I'm certainly willing to listen to weird things that I do. Go ahead. I don't need to because I love you. Oh, is that it? Or yes. is it that you don't know of anything weird that I do? Oh, is that the case? Mm-hmm. Is it? Give it to me. Lay it on me. Okay. Yep. Sometimes you come out of the bedroom and you're just wearing a t-shirt. And mm-hmm. I mean just. Mm-hmm. And then you slide the edge hem of your t-shirt over the top part of your ween. Mm-hmm. And then you shake your ween yeah. around like it's dancing. It's a penis puppetry routine that I developed. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to go on the road soon with sure. it. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be a short show. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, hello, freaks. Hello, and good day. How are you? (laughs) We're so glad you joined us for this, I guess. Um, We're fighting our way through winter here in Maine. As you know, we're getting set to head down to um, the subtropics of Bridgeport, Connecticut, uh, this coming weekend. Saturday is the show, and it's the last show on our books for a while. We're taking a short break. Uh, we'll be back out on the road before you know it, and we'll let you know when the dates are going to be. Um, but we would love to see you Saturday night 
at the historic Bijou Theater in Bridgeport, Connecticut. It's absolutely gorgeous and uh, so outside of the range of what we're used to. You know, we've done comedy clubs, sure, mm-hmm. but we've never done anything like like this. It's it's beautiful. It feels like a step up, although we've had the good fortune of playing some really great clubs like, you know, Zany's, of course. That's absolutely. legendary. It's just different. It's yeah. just a different type of venue. Um, also, did you know that James Henry O'Reilly Rourke is from Bridgeport, Connecticut. Who's James Henry O'Rourke? James Henry O'Rourke. He's a uh, baseball player that hit like the first hit the National League history or something like that. Anyway, his uh, house that he had when he was a little time baby person, um, (laughs) the city decided that it was like so important to the city that they saved it, even though like every single house in that area had been raised because of, you know, industrial growth and whatever. So it was just like this big, open, empty field and then this singular (laughs) house in the middle of it. Anyway... That's James delightful. O'Rourke. Well, I did not know that. Yeah. See, already we're, we're less than three minutes into the show and I'm learning things. Oh, I love it. God bless you. Yeah. Anyway, tickets are available on our website, theboxofoddities.com. The um, it's going to be a fun show and we're in the process of working out details of uh, videotaping or videotaping. I guess it's not tape anymore, is it? Video recording. Although taping is a generic term. You, you, term. you give me crap for saying, yeah, we taped the show, but... They still say that at the network level. The network level? Yeah. Well, we're taping an episode of blah, blah, blah for, you know, CBS. They still say taping. It's not Who's just. they? Some guys. Yeah. yeah said yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Probably old guys. Sure. Sure. Anyway, uh, we'll let you know about that. We may have a, um, a video of the show available at some point. We're working on it. Anyway, it's my turn to go first. Yes, please. Jennifer Grosbeck lost control of her car around 10.30 p.m. on Friday, March 6th of 2019 at the Spanish Fork River, which is about, 100, or no, about, about 50 miles south of Salt Lake City, Utah. Okay. In the car with her, unfortunately, was her 18-month-old baby, Lily. She was driving to her house in Springville after visiting her parents, uh, who lived in nearby Salem, Utah, when the vehicle, um, she lost control of it and it plunged off a bridge oh my goodness. and into the river Oof. and in the process turned upside down. Okay. Terrifying. Terrifying. Got and it. again, this is like 1030 at night on Friday. The next day, a fisherman discovered the upturned vehicle, which was a red Dodge sedan. It was upsought. It was upsought. Yes. Yes, it was. <laughs> Uh, He called emergency services to the scene Saturday afternoon because no one knew it was there until a fisherman wandered by later the next day. Got it. So they were not hopeful that there were any survivors. Right. 14 hours underwater or at least upside down in the river. When rescue personnel arrived, they could not believe what they heard. They heard a woman screaming from inside the car. (gasps) Oh. And it, again, crashed off this bridge and had been upside down in the river for 14 hours. I'm getting this information from, uh, well, there was a, a number of different re- uh, sources, but I'm, I'm quoting an interview uh, from The Mirror. Um, one of the rescue workers said, quote, uh, we could see a person in the front seat. And then we heard a voice saying, help me. We're here. We're in here. Oh, my goodness. 
And that's uh, according to Officer Tyler Beddoes of the Spanish Fork Police Department. And again, I, that's an article in the mirror. Um, Beddoes and his colleagues had to brave the icy water. It was cold yeah. water as well. And it, it was difficult for them to stay in there just long enough to turn the car over. So imagine what it must have been like 14 hours right. in this car. They pulled the baby out first because she had been strapped in um, and was suspended above the, the, the torrents of water, which is what saved her life. The baby seat, um, the way it was positioned, held her face just above the water level. Whoa. Quote, we could see her eyes fluttering, so there was some life, but as far as movements or consciousness, there was nothing that we could see, according to Bedos once again. Four officers and three firefighters formed an assembly line and transported the child back to the shore. The first responders started performing CPR, and Lily later regained consciousness. Whoa, that's and, incredible. And she's fine. The mother, however, died in the crash. And had been dead for at least 12 hours. So who was it that was calling for help from inside the upturned vehicle? Again, according to this article, quote, For two nights, I've laid awake trying to figure out exactly what that could have been. All I know is that it was there. We all heard it. We all heard it, added uh, Officer Beddoes. It was extra motivation to haul ass. To haul ass and, and get them out of the river. Whoa. They all heard this woman saying, help us. We're inside. We're here. We're all in here. And it wasn't like one person thought maybe they heard. It was clear as day. They heard it several times, several witnesses. And when they pulled the mother out of the car, she had been dead for 12 hours. Easily. Whoa. Is it possible that Lily's first words were, help, we're in here? Maybe, maybe. Um, I thought of that. I'm trying to think of anything <laughs> that makes sense. But it, in the article, it says that it was uh, the voice of a an adult woman. So. You don't know. This is, uh, I'm going to run through a few stories here about how sometimes ghosts can be nice. <laughs> this was a nice ghost. The ghost of the mother probably saving the child. Oh I mean, goodness. that's, that's of course, what I want to believe. And I don't see any other possibilities. I'm certainly open to, you know, was it like mass uh, hallucination or something? I mean, these things are possible. Well, maybe there was a house nearby and kids were playing and, you know, one of them was in a cupboard or something and was letting the other kid know, like, help, we're in here, you know, something like that. Maybe it wasn't actually coming from the car. I'm just saying maybe uh -huh. that's a possibility that someone else happened to be saying those things. It's possible, I guess. But from what I understand, this was in a in a somewhat rural area. You're just shooting it down and you don't even know the facts. All right. All right. The Daily Mail ran this story on Christmas Eve 2016. A um, This is in the U.K., Jane Reynolds sensed that something was wrong in her home, but she just kind of wrote it off. It had been a long day. It was Christmas Eve. Something wrong? Yeah. On Christmas Day at, at four in the morning, she claims that um, she was lying in bed and some force, some unknown force, force ripped her bed clothing off, ripped the duvet off of her bed and began shaking her bed. Before she could process 
this. Mm -hmm. You know, she was still waking up. She heard banging and screaming from somewhere in the house. Now, she was afraid that her two sons might be in danger. She had two little boys. So she didn't really have time to process what the shaking and pulling of bedclothing off was all about. So she ran to check on the boys. They were in their room. She saw one child, Ethan. He was sleeping silently. Her other child, 18-month-old George, was quietly choking. She quickly turned him over and patted him on the back, cleared his airway. And uh, later she realized that something or someone must have warned her. This is, again, her feeling. Since uh, Ethan was sleeping, sleeping and George's airway was blocked, who did she hear screaming, let alone who pulled the covers off the bed? Right. So she did a little research on the house. And 50 years prior, a family that lived there, uh, very shortly, their baby had perished. Reynolds, no. Reynolds found out that the baby who passed away had choked to death. What? Yeah. Weird. That is weird. What a coincidence and weird series of events that are explainable. To- totally explain. <laughs> totally explainable. <laughs> yeah. Here's another story. I found this one in the LA Times. On June 10th of this past year, 2019, a Sacramento resident, Deborah Hoyt, woke up from a sound sleep. She and her husband had a journey to make to head to uh, to take a road trip. And she woke up early with this feeling that they needed to leave urgently. <laughs> urgently. I'm sorry. You know that I was raised by like a hippie doodah when you say they had a journey to take. And I'm like, oh, you mean go on to the other side? Like, <laughs> or, or, no, or mescaline. <laughs> like, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, they were, they were uh, playing yeah. around with opiates, huh? Yeah, okay, cool, yeah, cool. Yeah, the little smoke from uh, Carlos Castaneda. <laughs> anyway, they. she woke up and she, she felt this urge, we need to leave now okay and, and she didn't know why but it was it was you know how you get those feelings sometimes yeah. it's like you know and and so she woke her husband up and they left and they were traveling along highway 50 in the sacramento area and they saw a woman lying on the side of the road obviously in distress so the couple immediately phoned the police who then investigated the area but but found nothing the woman wasn't there interesting they didn't, like, hang out near the woman? Well, they had gone by and okay. made the call. And when they came back, Got she it. was gone. And then the police couldn't find any evidence of there ever being anybody there. And so that was, you know, baffling. El Dorado County Deputy Rich Strasser then was going through some missing persons reports. And he found one for a Christine Skubish and her three-year-old son, Nick. They had been missing since June 6th, which was four or five days prior to when that initial call came in about the lady lying on the side of the road. Got it. So he decided just on a whim to return to the site where the Hoyts had claimed that they saw this woman lying on the side of the road. Okay. In examining the area more closely, he discovered a shoe belonging to a child lying in the bushes along the side of the road. Okay. That led him to discover Scoobish's car 40 feet down an embankment Christine had apparently died on impact, though, and, and though exposed to the elements and on the verge of starvation, they <gasps> rescued Nick. Papa. They managed to uh, save him. He lived through the tragedy. He was out there uh, in this wrecked car with his dead mother for five days. Whoa. Scoobish's family, of course, they believe it was Christine herself who was trying to 
get attention to save her son from beyond the veil. That's interesting. And yeah. totally explainable. Well, I mean, that could have just been some rando hanging out on the roadside. You know, who knows? Yeah, could have been somebody that maybe had one too many, fell down, and then got up and walked away before they came back. But he happened to just, or she happened to just pass out near this car wreck. That could could be. Strange woman, lying in medians. It's not just everyday people that have these types of experiences. Celebrities also. According to Radar Online... And I think you'll find that celebrities are just like us. None of them have to wait at airports, though. Well, neither do we, now that we have TSA pre-check. <laughs> Never mind. I'm not going to tell you about that, because I don't want you to take advantage of it. Go! Right, because right, we want to get on the plane first. Anyway, <laughs> so celebrities, uh, according to Radar Online, and, uh, and according to a story that she told on the David Letterman show, Dolly Parton believes that she has guardians from another dimension. Interesting. She claims that she's received help from both of her grandmothers long after they died. On one occasion, she was about to board a plane headed to Salt Lake City, and as Parton recalled, quote, suddenly I saw my grandma's ghost standing in the corner, and she, she kept saying, don't catch the plane, don't catch the plane. So she decided to take that advice, and she switched flights. The flight that she was supposed to be on crashed, leaving no survivors. Whoa, really? Yeah. Later, her uh, other granny warned her about a potentially costly deal. Parton uh, declined to sign the contract, and if she had, she would have lost millions of dollars. All right, well, I believe Dolly Parton. Who doesn't believe Dolly? Yeah, no. Um, If there's one thing that people will tell you about Katrina Walls, it's that... She believes Dolly Parton. (laughs) This came from an article in Psychology Today. On September 20th, 1988, famed author, one of my favorite authors, Dean Koontz. I love Dean Koontz. He had an experience that uh, he didn't tell anyone uh, about for nearly a decade, but then he included it in an essay uh, for the book Beautiful Death, which is like kind of like a, a picture book of graveyards and cemeteries and the author or the photographer asked him to write the forward so he wrote this little essay um, about this true event that happened to him okay he was at work one day in his office and his phone rang and this was back in 1988 so it had a cord it had a cord and (laughs) and it was an unlisted number which was far more common phrase back in those days (laughs) so he picked up the phone and he heard a female voice It sounded very, very far away. And she spoke to him with a real sense of urgency. She said, please be careful. And it startled him. And he said, who is this? And there was no response, but she just repeated the warning three more times. She said, please be careful. And her voice became more distant. And then the line fell silent. Now he sat there listening for a while. He didn't really quite know what to make of it. The voice sounded eerily like his mother, who had been dead for over 20 years. He said, quote, a voice is much harder to remember than a face. So he thought he was being melodramatic. Of course. And again, his number was unlisted, so it wasn't a prank call aimed at him. It could have been a misdialed number. Mm -hmm. He mentioned it to his wife, and then he just forgot about it. It was a strange call, he said, according to this article. Quote, I don't claim that it was a ghost. I don't know what to believe. It certainly was odd. People report these kind of events all the time, and it's always struck me as interesting that everyone seems to have an experience or two 
of the uncanny. Sometimes I believe that call was from my mother, and sometimes, and sometimes that it was very strange, serendipitous, wrong number. I think you always have to keep some skepticism about things like this, but it's comforting to think that maybe there's a realm where the personality survives and they're kind of looking out for us. So two days after this call, Dean was, uh, and I call him Dean because we're pals. Sure. <laughs> um, he, his father was still alive. His father was kind of a dick. He was, uh, I guess, a heavy drinker. Mm. He was abusive. Mm. He, at one point in his in his life, early on, had gotten into a fight. Dean and his father, Ray, had gotten into a fight. And his father pulled a knife on him. Wow. But regardless, Dean was still taking care of his elderly father at a um, nursing facility. He got a call from the staff. They said that they were dealing with uh, some of Ray's behavioral problems. Apparently, he had punched another another uh, resident in the face. It was a man in a walker, oh, and he geez. just punched the guy in the face. The nurses were obviously concerned. So Dean goes over, and uh, he wasn't he was unaware that his father Ray had used some of his uh, he'd saved up some of his small pocket allowance, and he he bought a yellow handled fishing knife. And he had honed the blade down to razor sharpness and then oiled the hinge so it would like flip open like a switchblade. Sure. So Dean shows up to see what's going on with his dad. And when he came into the room, uh, his dad moved quickly. He grabbed the knife from a drawer and lunged at Dean, trying to trying to stab him and slash him. And Dean had to wrestle it away from this guy. He just managed to avoid being, being cut. Wow. There were a lot of witnesses... And one of them called the police. Dean, Lee, Dean finally got the knife out of his, his dad's hand. There was no incident. He carried it out into the hallway just as the police arrived. And so they see this guy coming out of the hallway mm. with a knife in his hand. And they drew their guns and they ordered him to drop the knife. And he was, you know, startled. He said, it's not me you want. It's him in there. And he pointed to his father's room. And they repeated, drop the knife. And they started training their weapons on him. Uh, he said, all of a sudden, I, re I realized that uh, they were going to shoot me if I didn't drop this knife. Well, why wouldn't you drop the knife? Just drop it. Well, it was a confusing day. He realized in that moment that they thought he was the perpetrator. So he dropped the knife and obeyed them. Um, and uh, that he looks at as uh, one of the stupidest things he ever did that almost got him killed was <laughs> to continue to hold on to that knife. But... His dad almost stabbed him, mm. and then he almost got shot by the, by the police. And this came two days after that weird telephone warning. Eventually, the police realized that Ray was the dangerous party. They took him to a psychiatric ward, um, and they kept him under observation. And then Dean, of course, thought about that mysterious call. It had made him more vigilant, and as a result, had possibly saved his life. He never again received another call like this. Although I imagine every time the phone rings, he, he wonders if yeah. his mom, mom. Now, I, you know, like you said, it, that could have been a lot of things, mm -hmm. maybe a, a weird wrong number or whatever. Uh, still weird that you wouldn't identify yourself. But anyway, uh, but at the same time, if I was going to believe that anyone would make phone calls beyond the grave, mm -hmm. it would be a mom. 
You know, yeah. my mom loves to talk on the phone and she will talk on the phone to anyone for any reason, for any length of time. I've told the story about my mom the day she died yeah. and, I, and I won't go into moms love calling people. Dead moms call people There's all the time. No question about it. I won't go into that story again. Um, you know, maybe send us a message and I'll tell you if you missed it or if not, you know, go back and re-listen to the catalog. I, I mentioned it a couple of times. <laughs> um, anyway, it also reminded me of an old Twilight Zone episode where a guy kept getting this mysterious call from a dead loved one and you know, it kept going on and on and, and he didn't understand it. And then one day he was at the cemetery and the wind had blown the telephone line down and it was like lying across the top of the gravestone of the loved one. Oh, oh I love the twilight zone. That's a good one. That's a good one. Anyway, that's what I have for you. Lovely. Sometimes ghosts are nice. <laughs> and now that thing in the middle. Today's Thing in the Middle, once again, from the Freaks a Box of Oddities group on Facebook. Uh, a question from Cheyenne Russell. Out of curiosity, what is the dumbest way you have ever injured yourself? <laughs> this is such a great question. Number five, Bree writes, I regularly punch myself in the face putting on my bra when my hand slips from the strap as I'm pulling it over my shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> dangerous being a lady it is number four gina writes being old i decided i could still do a backbend lol drunk of course mm-hmm. Aw, gina i'm with you number three mark writes taking undies off flick up to catch in one movement dislocated knee and retore ligament <laughs> explain that to the a and e nurses a nasty underwear related injury <laughs> number two J. David Van Dyke writes, fell into a dumpster. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Awesome. I had a friend I worked with one time, and I came out, and I could hear him somewhere in the parking lot. And then I realized he was inside the dumpster. And I said, Mitch, what are you doing in there? And he goes, you wouldn't believe all the cool stuff you can find. (laughs) And number one, Jeannie Hall writes, worked at a florist. Went to smell a flower and ended up scratching my cornea on the price tag card sticking out of the bouquet. Had to wait in the ER for hours while a specialist was called in. Jeannie, I did that with a pair of sunglasses. <laughs> I didn't scratch the cornea to the point where, you know, I had to go to the doctor, but I stuck the tag on the edge of the glasses right in my eye. As we say in Maine, woke me right the hell up. If you are not yet a part of the Freaks group on Facebook, might I encourage you to join? There are some lively conversations. It's a lot of fun. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. 
When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids and they live about 3,000 miles away and my daughter is expecting a child and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life... Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout and you will save thanks aura frames for bringing my family a little bit closer hey there i'm dylan lewis one of the hosts of motley full money each weekday on motley full money we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on wall street on weekends we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts authors and executives that understand them tune in for insights a long-term perspective on investing and of course stock ideas plenty of them To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. The Box of Oddities. At a frequency so high, only your dog can understand. Received this email, actually a a couple of weeks ago. Hey, it's your old pal Dragon here for a check-in. You may remember me as the guy who dropped some stellar bean facts on you concerning Pythagoras. (laughs) I do remember that. Any hoozle, I want to be brief, but I wanted to be excessively verbose in saying thank you. I will try to compromise the two. 2019 was the hardest year of my life. After discovering the infidelity of my now ex-wife, I felt lost and scared and confused and depressed in all manner of terrifying emotions that come along with that territory. I was alone. I was facing the facts that I had been sexually and emotionally abused by a diagnosed sociopath and narcissist. And as a male... I was met with even more resistance. Uh, we've talked about this before, we, and just recently we, yeah. we, we spoke of this. He goes on to say, I felt like a freak. Hell, I am a freak. 
The box was here. I listened to every episode religiously. The pug snortles, the excessive cursing, the alarming truths about numerous dead things was always something I could turn to for laughs and the occasional ugly cry. It wasn't just a podcast. It was a chance to get to meet with a couple of weirdos who I felt might understand me. Uh, you were the only people during these dark times that uh, would call me beautiful. Thank you. Truly. Thank you. I write this all to you on Valentine's Day from my new apartment, squinting at my TV screen, and though I am still single, I don't feel alone. I have you two to thank for that, in large part. I hope you're as well as I am. Well, then he signs it, the great and powerful dragon. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. And yes, I love this signature so much. Um, because you obviously are great and powerful, and that's amazing and an incredible thing to go through and uh, discover and and learn about. And you know, sometimes it's so hard to see where you're at until you're out. Yeah, and it's true. God, in uh. looking back on some of the hardest times in my life, looking back on them, I learned that. Those were also the times in life that I made the greatest strides in strengthening my inner self. Yeah. You find out what you're made of, and yeah. we're all made of pretty strong stuff if we assess what we have, and you're not alone. This is a great community. Yeah, it really is. It really is. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's... Well, I mean, not to be excessive or anything, but that's fucking rough. Yeah, and... that is. That's <laughs> fucking rough. Go get him, Dragon. Anyway, I'm going to shift gears here and say, oh, what you got for me? Oh, crap. Oh, crap. Oh, crap. It's June 2010, and Christine and Michael Barnett adopted a little girl from the Ukraine. They had experience as foster parents, having run a children's daycare from their Westfield, Indiana home. So in 2010, they agreed to the emergency adoption of eight-year-old Natalia Grace. The girl had come to the United States from the Ukraine two years earlier, but didn't have a birth certificate. Um, she lived with the family, and uh, they had three other boys, three other children, boys, uh, in Hamilton County, Indiana. Now, because of the lack of birth certificate, uh, the couple had visited several doctors to determine uh, the girl's age, I mean, in addition to making sure that she was healthy and all that business. She was originally found to be between 8 and 10 years old. Uh, she was afflicted with a rare bone growth disorder hmm. that resulted in dwarfism. The disorder is known for causing skeletal abnormalities and, on occasion, vision and hearing issues. Mm -hmm. So in September of that year. Uh, this is according to the Daily Mail. Uh, Christine Barnett said she began to suspect that maybe there had been some misinformation and that their daughter was older than the adoption agency had said she was. Michael Barnett claimed that there were some red flags, including uh, developmental changes. Um, she did not have a detectable Ukrainian accent, hmm. and she didn't recognize Ukrainian words. Um, she didn't remember her life in the Ukraine. Um, they also noticed that the young girl uh, had certain body features that maybe an eight-year-old, it would be unusual for them to have. Like prepubescent 
children wouldn't have. Wouldn't have. Yes. Okay. Right. Okay. Some girls develop uh, sure. younger than yeah. others. Uh, I know I was an early developer, which made sixth grade very uncomfortable. <laughs> um, but they also noticed and uh, reported to others that their young daughter had adult teeth. Now, they were told she was eight. Correct. Okay. They also had other red flags, not about her development or her body, uh, but about her behavior. Uh, Christine Barnett claimed that Natalia had threatened to stab the family in their sleep. Uh, They said on multiple occasions they woke up in the middle of the night with her standing over their bed with sharp objects. That is not a very restful evening. They also reported that at one point she'd poured pine salt in Christine's coffee and would make statements about trying to kill the family. She said she wanted to roll them up in a blanket and put them in the backyard, according to the Daily Mail TV. Oh, my God. So the Barnetts came to suspect that she was actually older than they thought, and they contacted doctors to conduct a bone density test, which suggested that Natalia was at least 14 Hmm. or older. So by 2011, Natalia was allegedly hearing voices and engaging in very disturbing behavior. She at one point jumped out of a moving car. Uh, Christine Barnett said that she was smearing blood on mirrors. She said that she was doing things that you couldn't imagine a child doing. And at one point in 2012, the girl reportedly pushed her adopted mother against an electric fence. So... The parents uh, placed her in a state-run psychiatric unit, and they're seeing doctors about this behavior. They're getting conflicting information. They're a little confused. Um, But at this point, they're like, yeah, this isn't a kid. Wow. It doesn't make any sense that the adoption was handled the way that it was. There's no birth certificate. Um, she came from the Ukraine but doesn't have any Ukrainian accent. There's it just didn't make it didn't line up. Was the agency a legit agency or was she actually masquerading as an agency to get into a family to smear blood on their mirror? Unclear. So in June 2012, the Barnetts went to the courts. And they changed the girl's birth record to indicate that she was born in 1989 instead of the year 2003. Oh, my God. I didn't even know you could do that. During an interview with Dr. Oz, Michael Barnett said that this was done because they believed that the girl was not a child and this was a way for her to get help for her mental illness. He says that she was admitted to an inpatient facility where she was under 24-hour observation and care and... He says that the staff there agreed that this was not a child. Mm. One therapist in January of 2012 said the girl confessed to being 18. And in June of 2012, the staff at the hospital in Indianapolis said that Natalia had told them how she tried to kill her family members. She said that it was fun. So if... If I was a member of the family that adopted this child, um, I would have long ago contacted the adoption agency. That would have been like my first call would be like, oh, what the hell? Right. Uh, Did they do that? Unclear. What they did do was move to Canada. (laughs) Okay. Without Natalia. Oh, I see. Okay. So they rented an apartment in Lafayette in July 
they paid the rent for a year, and they moved to Canada. Wow. They also, Christine Barnett uh, reported that she helped Natalia get a social security number, apply for an ID, and get food stamps. Okay. And she was of legal age, legally. Legally, I mean, she was according to paperwork. The courts. And she lived there hmm. for two years. Wow. Until she was evicted in 2014. Police did say that neighbors had taken her under their wing, uh, but she was living alone in an apartment in Lafayette. Wow. Yeah. And what was she doing while she was living alone in the apartment in Lafayette? I don't know. When she was evicted, they didn't find like bodies in there or anything <laughs> because I thought that's where we were going. No. Um, Antoine and Cynthia Manns petitioned to become Natalia's legal guardians. They believe that she is a child. Oh, my goodness. In March of 2016, they petitioned to become her legal guardians. That would restore Natalia's original birthday to 2003. The Barnetts filed an objection to this. They said, you cannot do that because this is not a child. She is a scam artist and she's an adult. She hid her period from us. She has adult parts. Mm -hmm. She tried to kill us. You cannot. But this couple, Antoine and Cynthia Mann, say, no, she's, she's just a kid. What are you talking about? Wow. Because you cannot abandon your child in an apartment in Lafayette the Christine and Michael Barnett were charged with neglect. But you, according to the courts at the time, she was of legal age. But because they changed it. It doesn't matter. It should not matter. Only. Well, no, it shouldn't. But, but it does. It does. Wow. So. That's not right. Michael Barnett turned himself into authorities. The next day, Christine Barnett turned herself into authorities. Uh, they were released in September after posting bond. They have since, by the way, gotten divorced because apparently going through this was <laughs> was too much. Yeah, I get that. Um, they posted bail. They still claim this woman is a woman and is a scam artist. Mm -hmm. However, there's no consensus on the situation. It has yet to be sorted out. No way. It is Absolutely the weirdest story. That is nuts. And you can see videos of this young lady, possibly woman, mm -hmm. child, mm -hmm. person, mm -hmm. um, claiming that she's a child. And this family mm -hmm. who has uh, reached out and said that they want to adopt her as a child. I really am interested to hear what the original adoption agency has to say for themselves. I know. I'm confused as well. What is that all about? I don't know. I don't know, but I found uh, articles in, on Fox Phoenix, Daily Mail, All That's Interesting, USA Today. Wow. All over the place. It's, it's, Tons of articles. And it's ongoing. Ongoing. No details about that adoption <laughs> agency. Wow. Please be very careful. Yeah. When adopting adult women, uh, possibly children. Who knows? Who knows? We don't know. We don't know, Claire. That's incredible. Anyway, I wish that I had some sort of wrap up for you, but I don't. It is just a weird ongoing story uh, about a woman that uh, or a child a person uh, who looks young. But this couple claims she's actually uh, in her early 20s <laughs> masquerading as a murderous child. Holy crap. Well, we're going to have to keep a close eye on this story as it develops. Oh, you know it. Yeah, you know it. Fascinating. I had not heard this. 
By the way, did I tell you about the amazing hawk that I saw today? Yeah, during the interview, actually, that we were doing with Wild uh, Business Growth Podcast, uh, you stood up and shrieked because you saw a giant hawk fly by our window. It was the most magical moment. Bird. Squirrel! Again, this is last call for tickets for our Bridgeport, Connecticut show. It's not technically last call. You can just go there. Yeah, you can go there day off, but this is the last time we're talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can go to our website, theboxofoddities.com. We would really love to see you there if you're in the vicinity. Yes, please. It's only like, a, like what, 60 miles from New York City. It's close to Boston, uh, Providence, Rhode Island, New Haven, Hartford. It's, it's close to a lot of things. We would love to see you there. So, we'll see you there. Yes. Long pause. Staring at you. Eyebrows raised. Right? (laughs) (laughs) All right, until then, keep flying that freak flag. And fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories, stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, on Facebook at facebook.com slash Box of Oddities podcast, on Twitter at Box of Oddities, and Instagram at Box of Oddities podcast. Copyright 2020, all rights reserved. All right, you ready? Um, no, I was laughing at a girl burning her tongue on her flat iron. God. Uh... Hello, everyone. Stakuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. Have you ever wondered how inbred the Habsburgs really were? What women in the past used for birth control? Or what Queen Victoria's nine children got up to? On the History Tea Time podcast, I profile remarkable queens and LGBTQ royals, explore royal family trees, and delve into women's medical history and other fascinating topics. Join me every Tuesday for History Tea Time, wherever fine podcasts are enjoyed.